get as specific as you possibly can, like specialize in something that you think no one else would even ever bother about thinking about, and then really run at it. Welcome to the Instech London podcast. This is Matthew Grant. I'm one of the partners at Instech London. And this week we are bringing to you the next set of editor highlights from our evening at the Steelyard on the 3rd of June. Now, almost every company in insurance these days claims to be using AI, but our speakers for this evening have all put their algorithms at the heart of what they do. We covered the first half of this evening in our previous podcast, number 31. Um, For this, the second half, Robin Mertens was up on stage uh, with three guests. First up was Sylvie Wampa, Chief Underwriting Officer from recent startup Chai, uh, followed then by Todd Rissell, CEO and founder of E2 Value, who joined us again to talk about how his company has been using AI to create building value data for insurers for the last 20 years. Finally, James Davis, founder and CEO of WePredict, told us what he's been up to since leaving insurance about 10 years ago and how he has now partnered with Munich Re to get insurance for their own algorithms. Sylvie, so uh, you were at Hiscox doing alternative risk. You wanted to go to innovation. Why Chai? What was it about it? So first of all, it's very good to be in your boudoir. I've but been yes. waiting for a seat Thank in you. this chair for a long Hashtag time. Robin's boudoir <laughs> for those who... We didn't get the lighting quite right today, but we'll try next time. <laughs> I didn't bring my feathered slippers, but I'll, I'll answer your question. So um, why try, why leave incumbent insurance? For me, it's about three things. Uh, firstly, to have the opportunity to solve or try to solve a real world problem and make a difference that way. Um, so we're literally trying to provide risk mitigation tools which don't exist today. Um, secondly, um, being part of making the insurance industry relevant for the 21st century. Um, I hope and believe that we're using aspects of AI and data that will become market standard. So it's cool to be part of that journey. And thirdly, um, to be working with smart and dynamic people who quite frankly don't know enough about insurance to be comfortable with how we've done it for the past 300 years and thus aren't afraid to ask, how can we do this smarter and better? Are these cool and dynamic people out here? Um, no, th- I think they're at home working, actually. <laughs> we're, we're burning the midnight oil right now. So come on, what problem does Chai solve? What, what does it do? So fundamentally, we exist to remove the pain of price volatility or price risk for companies. Companies that depend on commodities or raw materials, if you will, for their success. So you have either manufacturers or processors who buy commodities, um, and you also have producers of commodities like miners or farmers. So the business problem today is that the very vast majority of these companies have no way of mitigating price risk which means that their cash flows and their P&Ls 
fluctuate in tandem with the prices of commodities. Now, price volatility um, for commodities has increased a lot since the last financial crisis, which means that these companies find it harder and harder to reasonably plan for the future of their businesses. Moreover, this is underlined by the fact that most of these companies are also price takers, so they can't really push that volatility onto their clients. And so what we want to do is to help this vast majority to get access to these price mitigation tools. We want to democratize them um, at less admin and less cost than what is currently possible. And so how does it work? That you provide a product uh, and then outside, if it moves outside the price parameters, you pay out, is it parametric type thing? Yes, it's a parametric type of insurance um, that fundamentally uses official price indexes, for instance, from the London Metals Exchange or other commodity exchanges around the world. And, you know, what is, what is different by that compared to hedging strategies that, for instance, hedge funds undertake? Um, so, fundamentally, only 3% of all hedging strategies in the world actually relate to some kind of physical commodity. So, 97% is done by um, financial speculators. Now, we want to turn that on the head and offer solutions to real businesses with real-life price-related issues affecting them. Um, that basically means that because we want you to be a real business, we limit the amount of commodities that you can cover reasonably to the extent you know, that you know, either you buy commodities or you sell commodities. So we will check for that. Got it. Now, why wouldn't you take that to the hedge funds? Why the insurance industry and... I know you have taken to the insurance industry. What, what, how have you got on? So we have gotten on swell would be uh, an overstatement. Um, so, so let me start where we've had very much interest, which is really on the manufacturing side. So manufacturers are some of our most sort of targeted clients. Um, so we've got two um, paid-for proof-of-concepts going on with two very large industrial companies actually from Asia. Um, this is not necessarily insurance related, but it goes back to the core of what Chai does, which is commodity price prediction. Um, on the insurance side, we are currently working on a POC with one insurance company where we're literally helping them understand and monitor the market risk that they have in their own book of business because that's basically something they haven't tracked so far. Um, we're also talking to insurance companies about providing us with capacity for an actual um, end market insurance solution. Uh, and what will the model for that be? What, are you going MGA or you, how, how will you distribute? So, yes, we are likely to become an MGA um, if this takes off as we intend for it to do. I believe that's the best way that we can monetize our data and our prediction. 
Um, in terms of distribution, um, I don't think we rule anything out at the moment. Um, however, I think it's fair to say that we are concerned with, um, I would say, the ability or the inability of the traditional insurance broker to distribute what you might term um, sort of sophisticated products. Um, also in the sense that our key um, stakeholders in a company would be purchasing managers and CFOs. That's rarely the key stakeholder of an insurance broker. So we are more likely to go down the route of other types of advisors in the commodity space, but also affinity type setups with industry associations and commodity merchants who might look upon this as a good way of um, getting their clients to be able to do more business. Very tactfully put, thought. Has anyone got any questions? Hello, Sylvie. I'm James from Agile Risk Partners. Um, you're interested in businesses that have exposure to an underlying. Could you offer facultative reinsurance for gold mining risks, for example? James, that's a very specific question. It is, but it, yeah, it is, but it's also quite problematic, and it might be an opportunity for you not to engage necessarily with manufacturers or miners per se, but providers of reinsurance coverage for specific exposures to underlying, like gold prices. So I wouldn't. I think that sounds quite similar to what we're doing with one of our sort of unnamed insurance friends at the current time. Um, so why don't you and I catch up on that in, in the pools? One more. How did you get comfortable that the product that you're offering isn't a derivative contract as opposed to an insurance contract? So this is something we think about an awful lot. Um, so it all comes down to making sure that there is an insurable interest um, at the heart of it. So as I was saying, making sure that it is a real business with a real price-related issue in their business. Now, that obviously comes down to checking the identity of the company and so on. Secondly, as I was saying, the most crucial thing is that with our insurance solution, you cannot cover more amounts of commodities than you could reasonably buy or sell as a part of your business. So, if you were a medium-sized manufacturer, we would sort of know how much you would normally purchase of a metal or oil or what have you. If you all of a sudden came to us and said, hello, I'd like to cover twice that, we would know that something fuzzy was going on and we would stop that. Great. Sylvia, thank you. If you've got a few hundred million of capacity available to put behind base metal fluctuation prices, go and see Sylvia at the bar a bit later on. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. very much. Great. Thank nice you. to see you. Next up, we've got um, Todd Rissell from um, e to value Todd, come and join me. So, look, you've been a great supporter of ours and a sponsor. Um, uh, in a, we won't have done our job properly if there aren't a lot of people here who know what you do, but for those who don't, what, what does Eater Value? Uh, we do valuation and data delivery about structures in North America. Um, so if you want to know what premium to charge for a home or a commercial building, the first thing you need to know or should know is the replacement cost 
and we help develop that number. How do you know that the number you come up with is the right number? Uh, there's a finite number of buildings uh, in North America, and there's a finite number of builders who rebuild buildings, and so you can test that very easily. Uh, we've been around almost 20 years now, and um, I'm not sure I'm going to say this the right way, but basically there's been a lot of catastrophes, and um, those are great testing grounds. So I shouldn't say great with catastrophe, but it is a great testing ground. Is yours a, just an algorithm? Or is it uh, intelligent? We built it as an algorithm, and we built it so it would learn from itself. So it is machine learning on the process. And I should say how we started. I think that might help with the other part of the answer is, I was an appraiser who did physical appraisals for an insurance company. So I would go to a home or go to a commercial building. And how it used to be is you would just pick numbers off a chart. And then I managed a number of people and this was gonna sound bad again, but um, um, the, the biggest problem with data is people, right? So we had to come up with a number for a particular building. And if you tell people, and I spoke to the, the folks here that were speaking earlier, but if you give uh, a person to go, as an appraiser to go get a value for an insurance policy, you tell them the value of the insurance policy, they will always shoot to that value whether it has relevance or not. If you tell a if a broker has a number they want to insure a building for, that's the number they shoot to versus data and information and process. And so where this is gonna sound bad is if in my group, 80% of that group did a poor to okay job. And so that other 20% did a better job. But if you look at it compared to what? It was only compared to that group as opposed to reality. And so where the algorithm came in, is it doesn't care, it doesn't have any feelings, which is okay because we are human, we can have human feelings with friends and family and process, and the data people can go take care of the data part. And so the algorithm just took care of the data and it's not influenced by payola, it's not influ influenced by someone trying to get a mortgage or insurance policy or a commission. It just says, here's the deal, we think this building's worth $8 million, you go do what you want with it. So if you don't do surveys, what are, the, what are the key data sources and are those fixed or are you starting to pick up more and more and get smarter and smarter? Yeah, I mean, um, so just to put it in perspective, we started this, it was sort of an idea with me when people used AOL. And so, you know, back then it was you fed data to everything. You, you, it was 100% depend, dependent on the user. And so if you had a 4,000 square foot home but the user put in 2,000 square feet, garbage in, garbage out kind of process. And so we eventually got to the point, it's been 11 years now that we can use publicly available data. And that was a good measuring stick for that process. And so when we started using publicly available data, I think uh, they just mentioned it. The other thing we wanted to do was make it not open source from the standpoint of anybody can add to it, but uh, transparent. So we say where the data came from, where we got it and how we did it. And when we started, there were three providers of public data in the US, there's only one in Canada. Um, and today there's probably eight providers of straight data. And then they're moving, you know, you'll see where AI does work, or at least I think it works, for whatever that's worth, um, is, you know, there are areas of different parts of different countries where there is no data. And so the best way to get the output is from a photograph or an image. 
Um, and so getting that data from the imagery is a next step. And we built the tool to be uh, data agnostic. Uh, we can supply the data, the carrier can supply the data. Or, and so when you move from you know, bits of data in a file to data coming from a imagery, you can, you can adapt to that process. So you're gonna stay with just doing um, rebuilding values or you, have you plans to expand the product set? We, we actually work, uh, we work a little bit in the banking world back when there was a crisis in banking, we helped banks mark to market better with that. But we've moved, um, and it was a long process, but we last year uh, introduced a product called the Structure Insurance Score uh, with Willis Towers Watson. And so just like you would score an auto for if an auto hits something, uh, how easily is it damaged, then how much does it cost to fix? We're introducing that concept to structures, starting with homes. Um, and I'm a person that sells value, so I want to make sure that as a person who sells value and put together the, and I didn't put together the algorithm, I was just the idea person and said, come up with this number. Um, but we put together the idea that we could remove value from the process because it's probably the worst way to come up with an insurance rate for a structure is the value of the structure as opposed to the exposures and how it reacts to those exposures. And so the structure score is that first step where you can, you know, like a two-story home with a bathroom on the second floor and the water drips down, it affects two stories. Uh, if there's a fire, it affects two stories. Where if you have a one-story home, it might be more localized to one part of it. But on the other hand, if you have a two-story home with the same size as a one-story home, well, now you have twice as much roof exposed to things like hail or hurricanes or process. So we just score each home and how it would react to those, today, six perils, but it could be 20 perils or as it moves forward. Todd, brilliant. Thank you Great. very much Thank for joining you. me. Thank you. So uh, last up, James Davis is the CEO and founder of, uh, of WePredict. Uh, this is one that a lot of, not a lot of people will know about. So what's it, James, what does it do? Uh, so uh, my, my background story is I used to be an actuarial pricing uh, analyst uh, here in London, so it's nice to be back. Um, it's nice to hear people talking excitedly about yeah. insurance, um, which I don't think happens enough. Uh, so uh, we started we predict um, ten years ago um, ten years ago, and we predominantly work with uh, car manufacturers and um, predicting component failure rates. How come you now come to an insurance event rather than select lots of auto manufacturers? Yeah, so we've been on a bit of a, a circular journey really. So uh, I, I left insurance. Um, uh, I didn't know if I was ever going to come back. Um, uh, but I noticed uh, during the course of my job, um, whilst I was working uh, in the very sexually named other personal lines department of a major insurer, um, I noticed that the work that I was doing to price uh, some of the product risk that we were doing had operational value for our customers. Um, so what that meant was uh, we weren't just providing insurance to our, to our customers, we were providing information to them off the back of their data sets. So the idea was, was that uh, I figured that this information has some value. Um, the thing that I noticed happening in the world that didn't make a lot of sense to me was that um, car companies would often have multi-million vehicle uh, recalls. So um, uh, 
no one makes a million of anything. Um, the highest level production vehicle is the Ford F-150 and they make about 300,000 of those every year. But you'll often read in the newspapers that a car company will have made a mistake um, and they will, they will recall multi-million uh, multi of the same vehicle. Um, now the reason that's happening is that they were doing a very bad job of prioritizing uh, risks that they were seeing on their manufacturing lines. And it still happens today. Um, I'm sure if you look in the paper over the last seven days, there'll be a multi-million vehicle recall. And it's because the car manufacturer didn't figure out they had a problem until the problem came home to roost. So they are prioritizing their engineering interventions on um, exposures that they've already noticed. So I, I was looking at this and I was looking at the numbers that I had and I could tell from my work with Honda that, that they were gonna have a really big problem on one of their vehicles at some point in the future and this didn't seem to have any bearing on their behavior as a company whatsoever. Um, and uh, I'm not just picking that company out as, uh, as a bad example, this, this was happening everywhere. So I basically re we retooled um, a non-parametric method um, and put some other stuff around it to bring some operational value from uh, actuarial technique that had been kind of you know, kept behind closed doors at an insurance company. This is a point that came up in the first half. You know, insurance is pretty good at data or has the ability to be good at data and got there first. And, and you're, you've picked up skills, learned that insurers and, and applied them to um, auto manufacturers. So, so have you sold this to the, manu the manufacturers? Yeah, so we've been around for 10 years now. Um, and for the first sort of six or seven years of our journey, we basically um, took the tools that, that we would have been using in, in an insurance company and figured out how to make them easy to use for the manufacturers. Um, and to your point about the fact that insurance is a good place uh, to find people who know what's probably going to have a better idea about what's going to happen in the future, I still, for the life of me, can't understand why all you guys aren't rushing out of insurance land into the rest of the world with the skills that you have, because they are desperately needed. Um, and you know the idea that that these tool sets should be used primarily to improve insurance, I think for me is, is missing the point. I think the skills that we have should be improving almost every op operational methodology that's going on in the wider world and that maybe when you start taking those um, uh, skill sets outside of insurance land, you're actually gonna find some other insurance opportunities, which is what happened with us. So. Originally, we were just selling the analytics capability as a service. Um, that went quite well. Uh, if you're selling predictive analytics, and if anybody does go out and try to do this uh, in the future, you know, one of the things you need to get past fairly quickly is, you know, are you selling magic beans? So, you know, you, you get, get caught in these POCs. Um, more often than not, the commercial decision maker will rely on a technical incumbent to decide whether or not what you're doing is any better than they're doing. And, you know, there's a whole your baby's ugly thing there where you're walking in and saying, hey, you're, you know, I'm better than you. So you, you figure, out, figure out all of these coping strategies and you end up you know, doing a pretty good job of being able to repeatedly sell this analytics capability. But to really distinguish yourself, you need to go out and get your own data. So 
Um, a few years ago, we started collecting data from various sources. So we now have full service histories on over 100 million vehicles in the US. Um, we have a better idea today about the comparative capabilities of vehicle fleets than the vehicle manufacturers themselves. So then when you go back in and, and sell your analytical proposition, it's on the back of you know, some proprietary data which enables you to get past some of these other conversations which can be sort of problematic. So you know, I, what, what I'm really excited about, and I haven't been back to insurance land since I left, um, and uh, I think... I don't think it's changed very much. <laughs> that sounds like to me you sell to auto manufacturers. So what's the insurance angle? What's the product? So the insurance angle is, is that um, for the particular risk that we've become experts in, the car company holds a reserve. So the car companies and the tier one suppliers, and we don't just work with car companies, we work with yellow goods manufacturers, you know, uh, JCB, Caterpillar, those types of guys as well. And in fact, what we're doing would work for almost any uh, product where there's a post-sale service interaction between the consumer and the, and the manufacturer. Um, but we just focus on these because it's where the money is. Um, you know, the car companies have somewhere between 60 and $80 billion sat on their balance sheets. And so when we walk in with our capability, um, we're able to give them a better idea about what that amount should be. So we're walking to a company and saying, okay, well, you've got $3 billion here. We are confident using our methodologies that you only need $2 billion and you're over-reserved and, you know, it's, you're using that capital inefficiently. So the, the background process there is that there's an agreement between the manufacturer and the auditor with regards to how they set these monies aside. So you can't just walk in with some new capability and have them reset it and it's a board level issue. So what we did, um, and sort of lucky to have some really good advisors to the company. So Rick Wagner, the ex-CEO of GM is an advisor of the company, the head of analytics out of uh, Bain in San Francisco. Uh, Laurie Scherer has also helped us out. And she put me on a stage like this. And I basically pitched the idea that if you've got good predictive analytics capability and you've got a better idea about likely outcomes for a particular operator than the operator does, then that sounds to me almost like the definition of insurance. And if you can step back and then share that risk across the industry in a way that an individual company can't, then you, you've definitely got an insurance product. So, uh, you know, kind of pitched that as an idea and, and within six months, Munich Re had invested in the company, um, did a, you know, a good look through the methods that we use and, and they will now stand behind our predictions. So enabling our customers to right side their balance sheets accruals um, and to do that with zero risk um, and in a way that makes the auditors happy. So. so, basically, as a result of your predictive analytics tool, there is now an insurance product that there was never before. In other words, you're the create. You are helping insurance companies provide a whole new sets of protections that didn't exist before this journey. Yeah. So, I mean, our, our example is incredibly specific, and I would, you know implore anyone who's thinking of doing this sort of thing to get as specific as you possibly can, like specialise in something that you think no one else would even ever bother about thinking about and then really run at it. You know, this is a, this has taken a long time for us. It's a 10 year old uh, company and, you know, maybe the first three or four years of that, we were just figuring it out. But I think that the, the general thesis here is that, Big companies, big operations tend to specialize in doing two or three things really well, 
and then there's this, all this other stuff that comes along with running a large company. And to me, that is, that is fair game for the people in this room and the people in insurance land to go out and run after, to start aggregating those opportunities and turn them into new insurance markets. And you know, we're incredibly fortunate that Munich Re's, you know, saw the potential of this and you know, we're, we're hopefully gonna you know, earn the right by making this work to perhaps go after some other opportunities as well. But you know, I, we, we've purposely stayed away from InsureTech and FinTech and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've really enjoyed my conversation with you after I was introduced. You was well, I sort of decided to, to come back, but you know, a lot of this stuff seems to me, without wanting to be rude, is to be to be navel gazing. Like, are we really going to use the capabilities that we have to improve claims processing, or you know, to to make a few people redundant so that we can you know only look at five percent of claims instead of ten percent of claims? You know, that's super dull. You know. Everybody is out there trying to find people with some sort of capability to predict better what's going to happen in the future. That's, you know, been subcategorized as AI or whatever the term is at the moment. But, you know, there's, there's a huge opportunity there. So, so yes or no, if someone out there has a brilliant idea in the predictive analytics space, can they come and talk to you? A absolutely. Yeah. James will be at the bar. Yeah, James, uh, thank you very much there. indeed. Thank you. Thank you. InnoState London is today one of the most engaged group of people working in innovation and insurance. More than 200 people join us each month to hear our speakers. And thanks to those of you listening, we are now counting our podcast listeners in the thousands. So you can see more of what we're up to at our website at www.instec.london. Please feel free to leave a rating or comment on the podcast site or download our newsletter from the website.